This is the Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have with me uh, Dr. Jeff Jeffrey Bilbro. Um, he has uh, did his PhD at Baylor and um, is a professor today. He uh, has written a book that I found to be incredibly interesting called Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. I will ask him in just a minute to give us a little bit more insight into exactly what the purpose behind the book was. But my impetus in reading the book was desiring to be a better consumer of the news around me. So Jeffrey Bilbro, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bilbro, thank you so much for joining me on the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Welcome. Well, thanks, Greg. It's uh, great to be with you. and I look forward to, to chatting with you about this. Listen, before I jump into the book, can you give us maybe a little bit of a personal introduction? You've got a family maybe and some other stuff. These folks that that uh, listen to the podcast have a, an interest usually in knowing a little bit about the people they're hearing from. Sure. Yeah, I grew up in uh, Washington State and uh, met my wife at college in uh, George Fox University, which is a small Christian school in Oregon. And then we uh, moved down to Baylor, did my PhD down there. And uh, ended up here at Grove City College in Western PA. We have uh, an eight-year-old daughter, and um, and I teach English, teach writing, teach literature, and uh, write about things that interest me. And according to your book, you don't own a smartphone. Well, that's, oh, that was true at the whoa. time. Yeah, what happened was... See what had happened story. was. Yeah. Well, my my dumb phone just stopped working one day because I think it used, I'm not agreeing on all the terminology. I think it used is like 3G and that got phased out. So then I bought a new dumb phone and it only worked about 50% of the time. So my wife was not super happy that she couldn't reliably get a hold of me. So I got a very used um, smartphone and I had to lock it all down. So um, and now I lose all my street cred when I pull it out because it's a smartphone. But I can't actually access the internet or check my email or do anything. Well, but it looks rough, it, it, it is a smartphone. So yeah, but so you don't it's, actually, get, it's a dumb phone that you don't get credit for. Exactly. So it's very humbling. It's probably good for my soul. <laughs> Dr. Bilbro, um, you uh wrote this book, Reading the Times. Of course, I found it to be interesting and, and intriguing, which is why I got a copy of it. But tell us a little bit about the book about your impetus behind it. 2021 that this this was published, I believe. Is that right? So you you must yeah. have written this maybe 2019, 2020. You wrote this during COVID? Yeah, I wrote this before. It's mostly done before COVID. And then I uh, went back and added a few passages to try to update it while it was in production. Um, but yeah, I, I've been working on um, sort of media ecology, uh, trying to think through how Christians should engage different um yeah, media tools wisely for quite a while. Uh, I have a book coming out this year that's a project I've been working on for probably 10 years. Um, that's about a different aspect of that. But in, I don't know, 2017, 2018, as I'm watching my students wrestle with the news, wrestle with smart uh, social media, smartphones, I realized maybe I could write this kind of more 
theologically explicit normative book uh, that's drawing on some of the wisdom from past Christians and uh, might help my students especially think Christianly about how to read and respond to the news. So it's kind of kind of came out of conversations with students teaching um, and then trying to yeah draw on my research and reading to to distill some of that down for them. So that's a, a relatively general concept, but were there any particular things that you saw in your students and their ability to discern or understand the news? Or was there anything that jumped out like that said, man, I've got to do something here? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the challenge that I, part of the, the impetus was recognizing on the one hand, there are some students who are just sucked up in the news cycle. But then there are also a lot of students who are just totally cynical and apathetic about it and just want to check out. And uh, and I get both impulses, uh, but I also don't think either one of those is is usually the faithful response. And so I wanted to kind of, like I said, draw on some past Christian wisdom to say, okay, the, the particular issues we're dealing with today are new but the general temptations aren't. So how do we navigate the temptation to either check out or get sucked in? And what does the faithful alternative look like? I think you did a really good job of showing how really with the, the advent of the printing press, that these temptations that we wrestle with today began to be concerns for clergy, for academics, for everyday people over and over and over again, because suddenly there was there was what we now call today news, right? Yeah. Suddenly there was something to occupy their time. And so for the last 500 years, we, we've seen, especially as technology has increased, we've seen these concerns flare up again. So we right. get the printing press and then you get movable type and you get all that. But then until really the advent of, of the steam printing yeah. press, was that, I'm so sorry, was that in your book? Did you do that? Or yeah. was that the shallows? Yeah, was that Nick Carr? Um, yeah. But, you know, the advent of the, the steam driven printing press, yeah. like just exploded newspapers and other materials onto the market. And suddenly there's all these things that people can be consumed with other than living their life. Right. Yeah. I, I think we, you know, before we started, we talked about um, Plato's concerns with written you know, writing period. Uh, certainly, the you should explain press. what that is. Ex explain that. Uh, Not everybody. Yeah, he, he he was wrestling with the concern that if we have writing, we might no longer value remembering things, and saying, "Look, writing is not going to be an unmitigated good. There's going to be trade offs here." And so, let me let me just let me give yeah. you. A, a, I'm I'm sorry, but uh, you're you're assuming uh, some things that maybe is not true for everybody that's listening, uh, and so. Uh, Plato is writing in pre-Christian era uh, at a yep. time when the Greek alphabet is just beginning to be um, uniform and Correct. and popularized, for lack of a better term. Yep. So during the time of Plato's life is really the first time that we have the the marriage of relatively affordable writing instruments and 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 things to write upon paper, parchments, all the other things. I guess it wouldn't be parchment yet at that time. Um, and you've got uh, uh, a uniform alphabet that can be utilized. And so Plato in the Republic, no, no, not in the Republic, Phaedrus. Um, yeah. 
why do I know that? Like you're supposed to know that, but I mean, I, that's super nerdy. Um, Good. Plato in the Phaedrus writes about a conversation between Socrates and another. And Socrates' concern is that with the advent of writing, that everything will change because no longer will people remember anything because they can just write it down. So memory will basically disintegrate and fade. Right? Did I do that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, See, I mean, I'm basically, I'm good. basically a, a, a Plato scholar now. There you go. Yeah, and people. You know, draw on that. I think to some say what he was right, some say he was wrong. I think Plato's point is just that there, we, there are trade offs. You know, these are not, there's nothing that's an unalloyed good. Um, and certainly with, with the ways computers um, occupy our lives now, uh, memory continues to be a uh, less valued faculty. Right. We, we, so, we delegate memory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do though, you, you, so you you don't. I mean, I'm, I'm interrupt you for a minute. You don't use a ahead. smartphone, except for its dumb purposes. Uh, do you do you relegate memorization of phone numbers to your phone? Yeah, yeah. I only know yeah. a handful of phone numbers. Yeah, I, I have to intentionally work to memorize a few. But uh, yeah. as I said that, I just my kids. If it, if you if y'all listen to this, I, I don't know your phone numbers, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I know I know your moms, but I don't know yours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of those things are probably less significant to lose than others. But, uh, you know, Christians like Augustine and Confessions talk about the crucial importance of memory to repentance and to recognizing his own, the way that God has pursued him and that he has come to recognize God's love for him. So, um, yeah, different verbal technologies radically reshape our relationship to God and others. And we have to keep thinking about those consequences. And like you point out, um, the steam powered printing press and telegraph was really seismic in the effects that it had um, on politics, on Christianity. Uh, you know, the second great awakening in America would have looked totally different if hmm. we didn't have Good word. Um, uh, denominational printing that, that spread those sermons and uh, made a market really for the, the circuit riders and other evangelists. Hmm. It's a good word. All right. Before anybody just listening to this tunes out because of our, our yeah. nerd jargon here. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. I'm I'm enjoying it. They might not. So <laughs> um oh, I want to get back to the book. So that's yeah, that's yeah. that's what we're doing is we're talking about all the the soup this sort of simmering in your heart and in your mind that leads to the writing of this book. Um, but basically you sit down at some point and and you begin to recognize that. The news media, the news cycle, the way that we consume news, whether we ingest news, is really becoming more than just information that we peruse. It's 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 becoming a shaping factor in our lives. And so early in your book, as a matter of fact, in the introduction of the book, you write that regardless of what we say we believe, it's our daily habits that reveal and shape our actual theology. Uh, and and you you go on to talk about liturgies, you talk about habits, you talk about Justin Whitmore Early, who we've had on the podcast before. Right. Um, but then you go on down, and and so this I, I'm I'm just going to tell you from out of the gate, you just convicted me with some of the things you wrote. So I'm I'm grateful for it. You said when the news sets itself up as the light of the world, it is usurping the role that rightly belongs to the only word proclaimed in the gospel. But when the news helps us to attend together to the ongoing work of this word, it plays a vital role in enabling us to love our neighbors. And so, uh, did, did your did your wife call you Jeff or Jeffrey? Jeff. 
Jeff. Okay, Jeff. That's my yeah. brother's name. All right. So, okay. Jeff, when I read that, I was like, yes, I can. I, this is somebody that's going to join with me in criticizing and critiquing the news media for the way they're destroying our world. Okay. So that's excellent. I was so thankful. And then I kept reading. And then you slapped me in the face. And I didn't appreciate it because you said how dangerous it can be if and when we allow our consumption of the news to essentially replace the play, re- replace our daily prayers and devotional lives. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, if I'm not careful, that's exactly what happens in my life. How often do I give the best moments of my day to the consumption of news uh, instead of the, the 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 bathing in God's word and his Holy Spirit? So how is it that our habits can shape and mold us through the news? How are we allowing that to happen? Yeah, well, you know, I'm glad uh, for, the, for that encouragement. I'll just say, too, I think, at least for me, I write the books I need to read. You know, this is something that I struggle with, too. And that's why um, I think why it's so important. I recognize in my own life these temptations. And I think part of the challenge is um, it's just so omnipresent now, the news is. So we're always, um, there's always opportunities to, uh, watch a quick video, scroll through a news feed, refresh the homepage of whatever media source we like. And so it's not so much you know, when people talk on the media, oftentimes it's like critiques of bias or critiques of, you know, particular problems in the New York Times or in Fox News or whatever. And I think the point is much more pervasive, which is that uh, no matter which outlet you're getting the the uh, fire hose stream from it's a fire hose stream and it's um always demanding our attention that's the way the market works so you know the bible is is not going to be as uh titillating as extravagant as crazy um in a superficial way as the news and as humans we want to attend to things that are um eye-catching so part of it is just recognizing those tendencies and then hopefully, and I talk about this a lot in the first section of the book, but hopefully finding ways to uh, put barriers around our habits and practices so that we have fewer opportunities to always um, be formed by the news. And more what are some of the barriers? I mean, you, you've, I mean, we, we talked yeah. a little bit about your smartphone issue. I'd, I'd imagine that would be yeah. one for you. But what are, what are some barriers yeah. you've identified that have been beneficial in your own life or that, that you've yeah. seen beneficial in others? I mean, part of it is, you know, when I um, when I see that I'm drawn to like a certain set of stories, you know, stories about a war, stories about uh, agriculture. You know, I'm particularly I'm a Wendellberry guy. I care a lot about agriculture and food, so I read a lot about that. Um, whatever you it don't is, look that like I'm you first... eat a lot of food, man. We need to work on this. Hey, uh, if you work if you work in the garden, then you work it off. It's okay. <laughs> Um, but you know, when I'm drawn to these things, what I want to do is go back and find kind of long form books or slow reported essays that are going to get at the heart of the matter rather than, than just, um, talk about the latest headlines. So it's try, I try to subscribe to more print publications or read things, uh, read, read outlets that publish the long form stuff, um, and just stay away from the more social media type bursts of, of um, outrage. I, I've found it really beneficial to just not 
pick up my phone early in the morning. Um, I, and people that have listened to this before have heard me preach this over and over and over again. Don't sleep with your phone beside you. I don't care if it's a smartphone or a dumb phone. It's a bad idea. Um, but I, I still use my phone. It's in my bedroom. I'm, I'm a pastor. I don't yeah. get lots of late night calls, but you know, there's still that sort of on call yeah. necess- necessity. And so it, it is in my bedroom uh, across the room and I use it as an alarm clock so that I, <laughs> this is why, because I, I'm, I'm scared. I, I have to get up out of the bed to go to it, to, to turn it off. And by the time I'm up, I might as well stay up. Right. Yeah. Um, but I found that if I begin my day perusing that that device, it just begins. It, I fall into it. You know, it just sucks my soul out of me, and it's my decision to to make that choice. So for me, a big part of it is I'm not even going to try to pretend like I'm going to read my Bible on my phone uh, early in the morning. I'm 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 going to find another way to accomplish those things. I don't I don't keep my prayer list on my phone because for me I don't have the self-discipline to keep me from immediately yeah. running to the news feed on my, on my cell phone. Honestly, that's, that's just for me. So. No, I think that's right. I think we have to put those kind of upstream barriers in place. Uh, you know, self-control is not about like having willpower. It's about removing the temptations so that we're free to be obedient to God. We're free to, um, uh, to follow the spirit and not have to fight that battle every, every time. So that's why, yeah, that's why I don't have the internet on my phone because I don't, I just would know that I would uh, succumb to that temptation to always be um, seeking out distractions. Yeah. I, one of the things when we talk about the news and we, we, we begin to critique the consumption of news, people say, well, if I don't watch the news then I won't, I won't be informed. I won't know anything that's going on in the world around me. Um, you kind of grinned when I said that uh, people say that. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. The studies that have been done on um, the correlation between consuming the news and having informed opinions about, say, um, political positions of people in America. And like, what's the average Democrat think about this issue? What's the average Republican think? Um, are really scary in that people who consume more news are actually less informed about politics. Um, people who consume the news are also less involved in their communities. They volunteer less. Um, they give less money. They uh, engage in fewer sort of social activities. So there's an inverse correlation between being informed and reading the news and uh, engaging your neighbors and reading the news. And I think that should give us pause. Like, if the news is the purpose of the news is to help us love our neighbor, then why is it that the way the news ecology functions today uh, so counterproductive to that end? And yeah, I think we can agree that we want to be accurately informed about reality and that we want to serve and reach our neighbors. But maybe uh, you know being upset by things on the news feed is not the best way to accomplish those purposes. Yeah, always cautious or I want to be cautious because when I say what I'm about to say, I get accused of of being callous. But it's it's amazing to me how I can have people that are sometimes so concerned 
and, and honestly broken about something that happened on the other side of the world, but who have absolutely no idea about what's going on next door, right? So the news sometimes can give us a false sense of godliness, right? Because I convince myself that I am just concerned for you know whatever happened in Pakistan or or, or sub-Saharan Africa, and I'm just broken about that, which matters. But somehow or other, I've neglected. It's, it's almost Jesus's words, right? You've tied mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. That that I've I've loved this person who was still created in the image of God, but I've I've loved them in thought, maybe. I've loved them in a way that I can't actually impact them, and I've neglected to love my neighbor, right? And and sometimes the news allows us, I believe, it it allows us to sort of um, create this this facade of of godliness as believers, or of goodness, or of, of good citizenship even as non-believers, uh, without actually engaging in the necessary work of being a a an obedient follower of Christ, or being a committed and, and civil um, servant and, and, and citizen of, of the country we live in. Do you see that? Is that is am I am I hitting in the right spots? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There's a kind of um, substitution that takes place where we substitute um, being informed, being connected. Uh, I use that in scare quotes, I guess, being connected to people across the world for um, understanding what's affecting our neighbors and understanding how we might be called to respond in our own towns, our own churches. Uh, so it's not like that there's something wrong about recognizing the body of Christ as global, recognizing we might have obligations to people distant from us. But it's that the proportions get uh, get quite easily skewed because um, people across the world are are being uh, news about them is often pushed upon us in ways that make it speculative, make it uh, entertaining. And that then leads us too often, I think, to neglect what's happening um, in places where we can be more involved. You you quote Augustine on this. Yeah. Um in this way, it says, all people should be loved equally, but you cannot do good to all people equally. So you should take particular thought for those who, as if by lot, happen to be particularly close to you in terms of place, time, or any other circumstance. No. And, and That's sometimes, good. I'm sorry? That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, he wrote it. I mean, he yeah. wrote it first, but yeah. um, we can buy the lie to some degree, that I'm doing good for the world with a Twitter hashtag or a Facebook repost or anything like that, we can buy that lie because I saw the the horrible things happening on, in, in Ukraine, for instance, and again, neglect the people that are closest to me. And, and what a sad state of affairs that would be for me to have a heart for those that I can't actually impact but to, to, to have no care or concern for the people in, in the places that I could actually impact. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that's why I think as counterintuitive as it might seem, if we can cultivate a kind of uh, holy apathy or, or sort of sacred indifference, which is a term I get from uh, Blaise Pascal, then uh, towards things that um, that are demanding our attention and demanding our emotional involvement, 
but often in a kind of um, spect spectacular or a way that just that just stokes our curiosity, right? That's just uh, titillating. If we can care less about that, then I, I think we'll find that we have more capacity to care for the people nearby whom we can um, enact Christ's love for in more tangible and concrete ways. And so you give some some solutions for that. We'll, we'll get to some other things, but you, I, or I should say you give what I thought was a, a really good challenge that in our day of information abundance, maybe we could supplement that by slowing down a little bit, maybe reading two or three minutes of, of a book or of long-form literature for every minute or two or three minutes that we consume digital media and how that might impact or influence the way that we see the world around us. Yeah, I think, you know, um, uh, right at the same time my book came out, uh, I think Brett McCracken, yeah, he came out with a book on um, kind of information intake uh, in which he compares it to the food pyramid, you know, that, that there are some kinds of informational diets or informational groups, categories that we should privilege and then other kinds like social media or digital media uh, should be treated more like the things at the top of the food pyramid, right? Like sugar. And um, I think that's right, that, that it's about proportions. And if the bulk of our uh, calories, as it were, comes from uh, scripture, from books, from things that are more deliberate and thoughtful, then we'll have more healthy emotional and intellectual lives. A lot of people that that hear this are going to hear this as a conversation between two nerdy guys. Just for the record, I want yeah, I want to yeah. acknowledge that 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 is true. But I want to push back on some of that to say that nerdy as we may be, and that is true. Very few that are listening to this are going to go and read Plato and be able to remember that it was the Phaedrus. Um, nerdy as we may be, what what I want to challenge is that if you're listening to this, to think not so much about the nerdy aspects of the things that Jeff and I might enjoy that maybe you don't, but to think more more about the intentionality that comes with the conversation that we're having here. And I appreciate that you talk about calories, right? That, that we think about these things as the way that we're choosing uh, to build our, our, our soul, our spirit, to, to build our mental faculties, even our spiritual health our, and our mental health. Um, a lot of the, the things that, that cause us to become physically unhealthy are when we don't pay any attention to the calories we consume or the calories we expend. And usually when we find ourselves metabolically unhealthy, it has more to do with two simple things. We're just not moving, number one. And number two, we're, we're, we're consuming, mindlessly consuming empty calories. And, and so often what's happening in our world is we are mindlessly consuming empty spiritual calories through these digital technologies, and, and, and in particular through the news media. And what's really scary about the news right now is that it's sort of like a sports drink, right? So a, a, a Gatorade is absolutely no healthier for you than a Coke. Uh, matter, matter of fact, sometimes when I'm going to drink something after a long run or a hard workout, I'll drink a Coke. Actually, I don't drink the Coke. I'll drink a cheer wine, and you don't even know what that is in Pennsylvania. You should. You're missing out. Um, All right. Uh, you, you might could have them delivered to you. I'm not entirely sure. You've got to get into North Carolina okay. before you can even experience them. But if you vacation this direction, write it down. You need to drink a cheer wine. Okay. Uh, at least once in your life. But um, 
anyway, I, I digress. Uh, sometimes these sports drinks get mis, mis, misunderstood to be health drinks, right? And so the thought is, well, I, I've, I've been drinking six Gatorades a day, so it's healthy. Well, the news gets funneled to us as as mentally healthy. And so you consumed it all day and you go, well, all I've done is watch the news all day. So how could that be bad for me? How could that possibly be bad for us, Jeff, if all we've done is watch the news all day? Yeah. Um, well, two things. I, I want to come back to what you said, just reiterate this this idea that if you know, if um this seems too nerdy or difficult, uh, if it seems like I'm just saying, you know, eat your peas and carrots. I, I like I think peas and carrots. That's see, that's good. Your tastes have been well formed. Um, but if you crave junk food and you you indulge that craving, I think the re, the result usually is you don't feel better, right? You feel worse. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the similar thing goes for information that you know. I just want to unwind after a long day. I'm tired. Uh, if I just turn on Netflix or I just scroll through the newsfeed, that doesn't usually make me rejuvenated and uh, restful, right? That just sort of uh, keeps me in this state of boredom and disease and confusion. So um, it shouldn't be some kind of moralistic advice so much as it is, I think, an invitation to um, reflect on what makes us healthy intellectually. Um, and yeah, and then to your point about what, why is it that the news media is more like junk food than um, than something healthy? Uh, even though you're right that there's there's this discourse or this kind of trope that it's somehow morally right for us to be informed and reading the news is like a good thing. Um, again, if you if you understand the ways that the news media works right now, it's pretty clear that it's all about maximizing attention. And that's how their profit model works, right? That's how they get more ads, increase subscriptions. Um, so disasters and scandals and crazy things are really good for the business model. So uh, any company that makes its money on keeping you angry is going to have incentive to uh, to spend the news in ways to keep you fearful, angry, upset, and, uh, and and hence coming back for more. So that's why I think it's helpful to try to find sources reporting that maybe has a different monetary model. Uh, it's not based on ads, but it's based on cultivating relationships with communities, with readers, so that their incentive is not to keep you emotionally engaged, but um, but to edify you and to build you up in a way. And again, just to reiterate, these aren't new concerns. Neil Postman wrote right. about this in the 80s, and his concern yeah. was what was taking place with network news in the 70s and the 80s. And Neil Postman traces that all the way back to the advent of the uh, Telegraph, which was the first time that there was actual breaking news, as you can yeah. imagine, that – uh, in just a matter of hours, uh, minutes even, what happened in New York could be reported in Los Angeles just that fast. And somehow or other, suddenly, transcontinentally at a time when it would have taken days to have traversed that distance, suddenly it was it was necessary and important for you to know what happened on the other side of the continent if you were going to be informed. And magically, that was supposed to immediately impact and change your life, right? Um and so Postman saw that and, and then fast forward all the way into the 70s and the 80s where he was concerned 
and there's a reason that book has become a classic and they're still reading it in high schools today. He was concerned, and we see now rightly so, and, and prophetically in some ways, concerned about the way that the news media uh, was was not just there, but it was grabbing our attention, and 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 that it was, you know, there was. He, he talks in that book about how weird the news is when we think about it. Like there's, you 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 mix it all up, and you've got a story about a mass shooting. You got a story about you know uh, a terrible car wreck, and then you've got a story about the puppies that need to be adopted from the the humane society, and then you got a commercial for Cheetos, and somehow or other we consume all of that in a period of two and a half minutes. And we just normalize that. And it's okay. That's, that's, it's weird when you think about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Postman's um, examples might seem quaint, but his analysis of the underlying mechanics, I think is absolutely spot on and very, nothing's really changed since he wrote that. I mean, they've only got, the problem's only gotten worse and the weirdness of uh, the newsfeed, for instance, is only exacerbating, is only exacerbated, right? It's only more weird than the juxtapositions that happen on network TV. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's fast forward a little bit in your book. You talk about the the the, the place of the prophet. And I appreciated you did an excellent job, just for what it's worth. I don't know, you don't need my approval, but you did an excellent job Thanks. really working through Kronos and Kairos time and and wrestling. Just I'll give you a chance to explain what that that means a little bit, how you you kind of wrestle through that before we get to the prophetic aspects of it. Sure. Uh, I appreciate that coming from a pastor and theologian. I, I recognize I'm kind of trespassing disciplinarily, but um, that's why I like teaching at a small college, right? I can walk across the campus and talk to my theologian friends and say, is this right? Right. Which, who else should I read? But um, yeah, when I, when I was writing on the news, I knew I needed to have a chunk on, on the news uh, and on time, really, because that's the, the organizing feature of the news, things that are happening today that are new chronologically. And um, Christians recognize that there's a different dimension to time, that the only way of understanding um, time is not simply uh, one thing after another, you know, it's 2024 now, uh, here, here's where we are in chronological timeline scales. But we also think about time in cycles and dramatic uh, order. When's the right time? This is, and this is Kairos, right? This is when's the right time to plant a crop? When's the right time to harvest? When's the right time to um, to proclaim the word? Uh, Christ is always talking about, you know, my hour has not yet come in the New Testament. He is operating according to this narrative uh, pattern, and uh, and that's how he's measuring time. Not so much uh, what's what's the date today. So, insofar as Chronos has come to really dominate our imagination of time and our way of making sense of where we are and what's important. Uh, I think that causes Christians to, um, to misunderstand when we are, we think that we are, you know, in this moment in history, rather than trying to discern where we are in God's um, ongoing work of, of redemption and uh, his, the, the drama of, of God's work in the world. And so, with that in mind, yeah, point out how we, uh, and and for the record, like I mean, isn't Carl Truman at Grove City? You don't really yeah. need to talk. Like, if you can get Truman's approval, you don't need mine. Just so yeah, we're all clear. Great. That's great. Um, but uh, that's that's uh, that's you're you're in much better hands there than you are here. I can assure you. Um, but uh, um, you talk about how with our 
um, our, our minds focus so much on the chronos that when we begin to think about the pro- the prophetic role of the church and prophecy, um, even when we speak, many people, when they speak of the gift of prophecy, they're speaking almost exclusively of this ability to tell the future. So it's really about the, the chronos aspect of that. But biblically, the Old Testament prophets there were there were certain aspects where where there were times when the Lord gave them a word about the future, but more than anything, the Old Testament prophets were taking the events of their day and they were comparing them or contrasting them with the news. You said it this way: um, the difficult task of the prophet is to call God's people to respond to the news of their day by the light of God's eternal word, right? So that the Old Testament prophet and and. So, and as 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 a result, the 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 prophet for today, our our primary responsibility is not to try to predict the future so much as it is to try to interpret the times by the word of God. That's it's incredible, an incredible insight from you, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not original to me. I don't think. I think, as you point out, like pretty much anybody who studies the Old Testament prophets quickly realizes they're not interested in prognosticating or in like doing some kind of parlor trick to say this is what's coming tomorrow um and insofar as you're telling the future it generally is because they're saying like this is how god works in the world and it's how he worked in the past it's how he's working right now and it's also going to be like you know the day of the lord uh it, it always has these characteristics um so yeah you know, this is nothing not a diminishment in any way of you know for instance the way the prophets foretell christ but it's um, putting that, I think, in the broader context of the prophetic mode in the Old Testament and recognizing how that's of a piece with their efforts to um, draw from God's character as has been revealed to the people already um, to understand what God thinks about politics, economics, culture, uh, etc. And, um, and call the people back to, to obedience. You even point out how, as believers, we can fall prey to this. We can we can miss even even maybe the best among us. So you you point out in the book, Jonathan Edwards kept an, an ongoing diary. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards, arguably the greatest theologian that ever lived Absolutely. on American soil, yeah. um, and yet Edwards kept a running diary, basically trying to prove that his eschatological. So that is his view of the end times, um, that his eschatological perspectives were correct. And what he was doing was was carefully sorting out news that of the day, writing it in this journal to see how it all played out in accordance with his particular theological framework. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love it. Edwards is amazing. But his um, <laughs> his, you know, I think his anti-Catholic bent and his view of his the role of the awakenings in uh, church history. I think was wrong. And it led him to really interpret news about the Catholic church or about Protestant Catholic struggles in, um, in simplistic or reductive ways. And, and just to, yeah, remind you, like you said, that even the best among us, if we're not careful, can uh, interpret news through our sort of political lens rather than through um, the lens of uh, the biblical narrative about God's character. And I think that gives us a really good opportunity to transition a little bit in this conversation to tribalism that you talk about and the way that we, our communities shape us, 
we don't always think of it that way, but they do. We we tend to have this very enlightened perspective that we are our own selves, but the reality is that the communities shape is our I point over here because my student pastor's office is to the left of me, and he likes to say to our students that you are the the average of the five people you spend the most time around. Yeah, and that's uh, it's really true. It's really true for for adults as well. As much as we want to pretend that we are these autonomous beings, the reality is that we are heavily influenced by the communities that we involve ourselves with, and so in a you. We didn't even get into your your atomized concepts, by the way. I, I thought that your I, I'm I, I preached. I used you as an illustration in a sermon I preached a few weeks ago, and the way that uh, that you took um, that that mechanized illustration, right, to talk about yeah. how um, how we we've become sort of these uh, these. Uh, I've got to explain these words when I say that we've become atomized. Um, very very insular, very um, self. Um, help me help me here. Um, Isolated or I, thank you. Yeah yeah yeah. So um, very very isolated. So. But as a result of that, we still are, are communal, we're relational beings, and we crave community. So you point out in this book that in this very isolated and lonely world, people people are still a part of some kind of a community. And for for some folks, it's the Facebook community they've gotten involved with. For some right. folks, their their primary identity becomes, you know, I'm an NPR guy, or I'm a CNN person, or I'm I'm a Fox News person. Like that's who I am, and those communities are shaping who you are, right? Am I, am I summarizing your argument pretty well? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So explain why it's incredibly important for us to find communities of into which we can really grow and of which we can be a part other than these sort of online communities or, or these news medias. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think Christians should get this, right? I mean, we believe in the church and the, 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 power and importance of the body of Christ in helping us um, and discipling us and, and helping us rightly relate to the person of Christ. So um, it's really tragic, I think, that in a day when so many people are lonely, so many people are, are isolated and, and have a dearth of social connections, um, we then settle for these kind of simulacra, these fake substitutes of online community where people just um, reinforce things we already believe or uh, maybe even inflame tendencies that are latent within us. Um, but it's it's quite superficial, right? We get these sort of swarms online of people who are engaged in one thing. Um, you know, there's whatever the fad of the moment is, people are talking about that, but then the attention quickly shifts and it's forgotten. And um, I think what Christians need for, for growing in holiness is robust, ongoing, embodied community. Um, so in many ways, the problems with um, the, the reasons that we tend to turn to the news to give meaning to our lives and to validate us and to help us feel like we belong. I'm in the know. I know what's going on. The real remedy there is um, a more robust um, church membership so, and belonging to churches. I, I want you to use and, and to extrapolate a little bit upon yeah. um that's not the right word. I want you to expand a little bit upon the words that you use. You talk, you contrast a thin community versus a thick community. 
And I actually use that in the conversations. I thought it's, it's I appreciate the fact that you and others are beginning to use those those words and those languages. So explain what you mean by that, and why is thick community so important? I mean, there's all different ways, I suppose, of trying to get at the distinction there. Um, but maybe it's you know, and so I think the distinction between virtual and embodied is helpful. Um, the distinction also between you know, people who know you, uh, people who have been with you for a long time versus people who bond with you over some ephemeral interest. You know, I, I too am a fan of this sports team. Uh, I too consume this product, right? That's not really a basis for community. Um, so we need to be discipled by and formed by uh, relationships with those uh, who also love Christ and who are on this path toward um toward holiness uh, that we are on and without those ongoing relationships that keep us accountable that um kind of ground us uh that allow us to be known in those contexts rather than known for our political opinions or known for the kind of products we consume or the kind of posts we make on social media um we will really struggle to um to be known and much less grow in our relationship with Christ. Unless we just be referred to as Luddites because all we did is talk trash about uh, about technology here. Those thin communities are not only virtual communities. I, I think virtual right. communities are a great way, um, as I was engaging in conversation about this earlier today, talking about thin communities. Sometimes a thin community are, are those communities that come around maybe for a, a political cause or, or particularly yeah. for a political campaign. Yeah. Right? We, we'll see people that for a, for a period of time or – are just all out and doing the things, um, uh, but it's 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 thin. They're 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 galvanized around a, a political um, person, perhaps. And and if that candidate doesn't get doesn't win the primary, that candidate doesn't right. win the election, then those relationships disintegrate. Um, in in my stage of life, I have four children, Jeff, uh, from ten to sixteen, um, and. Uh, we we're pretty involved in sports, and a lot of a lot of our our extended friends, our, our family and friends, have kids that are involved, especially in in travel sports teams. But your kids' sports teams become thin relationships, and what we're seeing is for people that don't have church, especially their kids' sports teams become their community. Right. And they have no appreciation for the fact that that's a thin community, right? They right. see these people on a regular basis, and so they assume that there's these deep relationships that exist there. But when the kid graduates high school or quits playing that sport, that community went away. So those are thin communities. Yeah. Thick communities are is your church, for instance. It's it's and it's it's your family. The thick communities are are those. Those um, those communities that can stand the test of time, they they can bear up under the pressure. You know, when yeah. something bad happens, these thick communities have the the strength to support you, to undergird you, to catch you when you fall, to come around you. And so, I I, I just and, and and so as you you talk about that in the book, you then say this and man, great words. You said 
instead of looking to the news to create better communities, which is what we often do. It's like, I wish CNN would do a better job at bringing us together. You know, the only thing they want to do is divide. All Fox wants to do is divide. All NPR wants to do is divide, divide, divide. You said this. You said, instead of looking to the news to create better communities, we should be looking to strengthen the communities so they can be create better news. H how might we do that? I mean, how do I not outsource the news to create my community? How instead do I create community that that makes news? Man, that's the that's the million dollar question, right? Uh, yeah, but you're the expert, know. man. You got to give yeah, us right. the answer. No, I'm not the expert. I think uh, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I do think um, that so many of the problems with our news media, with our politics, you just described this in terms of athletics, um, that these these things um, take on weight they were never meant to bear. You know, it's not oh, that thin great communities word, are bad. Great word, yeah. It's not that, uh, that sports is a bad thing by any means, but it's when we make those um, the ultimate source of meaning and structure for our lives that they become warped and distorted and distort us in turn. So, um, you know, this is not, nothing revolutionary or original to say that what we need is stronger church communities. But I just think in this moment when our culture is so um isolated atomized and polarized uh these are all symptoms of uh, a failure to belong and be committed to be discipled by um church communities that that know each other as you say you know when when you are sick when things happen to you when your family's suffering who's going to come alongside you and yeah. i would hope it's it's the church yeah, I mean, we we adopted our two youngest children, and man, I mean, we have we have friends all over our community. We have family, but man, our church, man, they they were the ones that just kept showing up. Yeah. You know, they they, they yeah. just kept showing up, uninvited, right? Yeah. Sometimes they just kicked the door in. They they just kept showing up. But yeah. I, man, I I just you you said something right there. Uh, you said we've wow, um, and you you need you need to expand on this, um. In, in, in a whole book or something, one of us does. You, you said we've asked these these other communities and organizations to carry a weight that they were never designed to carry. Okay, yeah. Now let's let's play with that for a minute, and then we get mad because we feel that we've been let down. Right. Right. It, it, I mean, that's that's really what's happening, right? So I'm I'm mad at the news because of what the news has done, but ultimately. What, I've, what I'm doing is I put an expectation on whether it's news or social media or this sports team. I put an expectation on them. So, I mean, we see these crazy things with parents that are like fighting coaches right, on athletic right, fields right. because we're asking this organization to carry a yeah. weight that it was never designed to carry. Okay. So I've, I've gotten into rucking. You, you've got like a whole chapter on walking in here. Um, and I've, do, you, do you know what rucking is? You familiar with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've gotten into rucking and, uh, but when I first started, so I've, I've lifted weights my whole life. That's my stress relief. Uh, when I first started rucking, um, I had a 25-pound plate, and I put it in a, in a backpack, an old backpack that I had. And I started, I'm saying, before I spend money on on an actual, you know, expensive rucksack, let me just see if I'll, if I'll do this. Right? Does this matter to me? And so I threw this 25-pound weight in the pack, and I don't know. I put in a bunch of miles with it, and you, you know what happened next, right? Before long, that plate ripped my backpack, right? Uh, yeah. my, 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 
my it, it the 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 straps sort of cut into my my shoulders and and the backpack failed now the backpack failed because i was asking that backpack to do something it wasn't designed to do it was never designed to bear that kind of weight and that kind of abuse but i was asking it to do so now imagine if i call the company and i pitch a fit with them I'm mad that your product failed. Well, you know, I'm the, the reality is I'm angry because I didn't get out of that product something it was never designed to do. Well, since then I've I've purchased uh, more rucking equipment than I should have. I, I look like we we basically I, I go ruck should sponsor this podcast. Um, so uh, you know, and I I just got another a bigger pack. For Christmas this year, so I can tote more weight, and you know, and I, I walked two miles with seventy five pounds on my back the other day, and I felt, Jeff, I felt really good about myself until I googled, I googled uh, records on this. This is a side note, and I, I found some dude, I, I think in Washington, actually, uh, Washington State, that ran a marathon with a hundred pounds on his back and 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 in like eleven minute miles, and I just, it's like, <laughs> what's how, who am I? You know, what's going on in my life? I yeah. felt like an absolute failure at that point. All right. But so bear with me. Um we're we're angry because these these thin communities don't support us. But we're angry because these thin communities are 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 simply doing what they were designed to do. And and we're we're not investing in the equipment or the communities to bear the weight that we need that we need to be bared, that we need to be carried, you know? Yeah. Man. No, I think that's a, that's a great analogy, and it's a reminder that, as you put it, the, um, the kind of anger we feel toward politics or the news or sports or whatever is really misplaced because that the dysfunctions there are a symptom of of our false sex. I guess our, really ultimately our idolatry. Yeah, right? yeah, our, yeah. Our, we become um, what we worship, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not very sexy, I guess, to say that um, the local church needs to play a more prominent role in our lives and in our formation. It's kind of uh, like Christianity 101. But uh, but I think today, you know, when, when you get so much of our attention is fixated um, on e even good things like parachurch ministries or sort of, you know, celebrity pastors, these sort of gurus that promise to guide our spiritual life, uh, like self self-help fashion, and like, this is not how the church is supposed to function. Um, and it's that's not really uh, a healthy substitute for local parish life. Yeah. So, I mean, we can almost sum all this up with go find your church, right? Yeah. Go get plugged in. Yeah. And, and, and don't just show up on Sundays. Find a place where you can get plugged in, where there can be, you can find that thick community that can, that right. can carry the weight with you. Because that's how we love our neighbors, right? By... Um, Gathering with our neighbors, getting to know our neighbors, recognizing what they need, what are, what are the issues that affect them, and then finding out how God is calling us to um, to enact his love for them. So Jeff Bilbro didn't write this book to, to tell everybody listening to never watch the news or never read the news, right? But um, I, I bet that uh, one of your primary uh, driving factors here would be to encourage people to be a little bit more in tune with the news immediately around them and, and maybe a little less concerned with the news that's happening on the other side of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
any any parting words you'd like to to leave with us, Jeff? If if everybody who's listening to this, if they could, if there's one thing you want them to take away. No, I mean I think uh, I think I was we covered it. Um, obviously, there's a lot more uh, that I try to describe in the book, but um, I do hope that it's not simply a doom and gloom kind of argument or analysis. You know, I try to give a lot of hope, a lot of practical, concrete suggestions um, to start better habits because um, it's important that we do engage in ways that are redemptive with our neighbors. But the first step often is recognizing the ways that are unhealthy and stopping those so that we have space to build better habits. Yeah, I, th- I think um, if you're listening to this podcast again, the book is Reading the Times, a Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News. Don't don't let the title scare you. This is a very approachable book. Um, and uh, Dr. Bilbro wrestles through some some big things in there, but he does it in a way that uh, that you could understand. And I appreciate the way that you really wrote this um, with with a, with an eye to the academy, but also with a with a heart. I believe for um, just about anybody to be able to really engage and understand. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate the challenges uh, to. Um, and, and, and really some really practical things in there. You, you did a great job of just encouraging people to go for a walk and how just by going for a walk with eyes to the community around us, we, we, and we can be open to the news that's actually happening right in our backyard. So, Dr. Bilbro, I appreciate the way that you've engaged and challenged me. Uh, and the way that you wrote a book that I believe that, uh, that that can engage and challenge the church. If somebody wanted to learn more about you or to purchase the book, is there, there any place they might want to, to go particularly? Uh, no, I think, I think uh, you know, IVP sells it on their website, InterVarsity Press, but it's uh, it's around any local bookstore should have it. Fantastic. Dr. Bilbro, thank you again so much for being with me uh, and with our listeners on this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. For those of you tuning in, thank you so much. I pray that God's blessing you in the new year. And listen, once you get finished with this podcast, go for a walk and read a book. Uh, Put your phone down for a little while. You might just discover that there's a thicker community waiting for you out there than the thin community you'll find online. Thanks so much. Talk to you next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.